Remain standing and take your Bibles out and turn them again to Mark's Gospel and to chapter 14. And we're going to uh, going to read a couple of passages this morning. One to remind you of something that leads right to what we'll be looking at this morning. So first, let me read verses 26 through 31 of chapter 14, and then we'll, we'll move on to where we'll be looking at this morning, or looking this morning. Mark chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 26, and just through verse 31 there. Uh, this is right at the end of the Last Supper, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. We read right at the end of that, that, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now let's look down at verses 53 uh, through the end of the chapter. We'll read that portion this morning now, beginning in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray as we get ready to come to this passage. Father, uh, we thank you again for your word. Pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, open this word to our hearts today. Pray that you would, would use the weakness of your vessel to demonstrate your strength and your power, O God, and may you be the one who teaches us today. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. And you may all be seated. So as you can pick up, hopefully you were able to pick this up from our reading this morning, this, this larger passage, the second part particularly of our reading, is a mixing together of two different but related situations. We've talked in the past about how Mark very often does this, where he will start one uh, topic, one situation, and then leave it to pick up another one and then return to the first. And that's sort of what he does here. Um, And this is obviously done on purpose here, the juxtaposition of these two events. Um, And even in the introduction of the passage there in verses 53 and 54, uh, we have Mark giving to us First, in verse 53, the setting of Jesus' trial and his interrogation. And, as it turns out, in verse 54, the setting of Peter's trial and interrogation. We're going to call this message this morning, the trial of Simon Peter, though it's not often referred to, not often thought of as a trial. We'll see that it is, at least an interrogation. Uh, Last Sunday, we covered the trial of Jesus, the other part of this uh, section that uh, Mark has given to us, Uh, this trial or at least preliminary investigation concerning Jesus, where the improperly, illegally convened meeting of the Sanhedrin brought false witnesses uh, after false witnesses to condemn Jesus, but to no effect, since none of them could agree as to their testimony, Even the ones that we saw here who misquoted an earlier statement of Jesus uh, and attempted to paint him as as fomenting a rebellion or threatening uh, violence against the temple and against the peace of the city, uh, even they were not able to agree uh, as far as their testimony went. Uh, We saw that where where the high priest then ultimately asked Jesus straight out there in verse 61, are you the, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? He was asking, to which Jesus then answered, I am. Uh, at which time, as we read, the, the priest tore his robes and said, we don't even need these witnesses anymore. Jesus has blasphemed by equating himself with God. And they condemned him as deserving death. And if you want to see, hear all the details about that, you can uh, look at the sermon or hear it online. But while this was all going on there in the upper story of the home of the high priest, down below there was an open courtyard uh, in his house or outside of his house. And in that courtyard, another scene 
was playing out. Another scene that had been predicted by Jesus. And to be clear, as I mentioned, another trial of sorts. Certainly uh, an interrogation of sorts. One with quite a different outcome than the one up in the, the home of the high priest. We're going to consider three different topics this morning from what Mark has, has written. And the first one we're going to look at are Peter's denials. And just, this gets us into the, the text of the, the passage here. Again, looking in verse 54, it says that Peter had followed him, that has followed Jesus at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Remember, right before this uh, was the episode in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested and all of the disciples, remember, fled as Jesus had prophesied that they would do. But it appears that Peter has, while keeping his distance, has kept an eye on things. He has remained close enough to see what transpires and he desires to see what transpires, and so Mark records for us that he follows Jesus, Mark says, at a distance, waiting to see what is going to happen, what is going to come of this. Doesn't want to get too close, apparently, uh, and perhaps be associated with Jesus again, be arrested, maybe, who knows what would happen to him. So he follows at a distance, but he does stick around. Mark says that, G, that Peter follows Jesus and the arresting mob, he says, right into the courtyard of the high priest. I mentioned last week that this is not where the Sanhedrin would normally have met. They met in a, a place called the Hall of Hewn Stones at the temple. That was their office where they met. But here in the middle of the night, this, this kangaroo court met at the home of the high priest. And this courtyard that I mentioned was a large open uh, air courtroom or courtyard that was large enough for a large crowd uh, to gather. The high priest was a highly respected person and certainly had a, one of the nicer homes in Jerusalem. Uh, and a large crowd has gathered there, we read, around a fire or fires perhaps as it would have been quite cold there in Israel in the middle of the night around the, the Passover. And in that crowd, Mark tells us that there were the guards. And these would most likely be, would certainly be the, the temple police, the Jewish contingent of the mob that had went to arrest Jesus. Remember, there were, uh, there were the Jewish uh, temple police and there was a contingent of Roman uh, guards, Roman soldiers that were along with them. These here would be the Jewish guards, the temple police. Their job now complete, having brought Jesus uh, in, it was time for them, at least most of them, to rest, to warm themselves back up, and they do so here in the courtyard. And most importantly for our story, a stranger has joined them there in the courtyard. He is, Mark says, sitting with the guards and is himself warming himself at the fire. Peter, who has slipped in to see how things will go with Jesus, is sitting with them. He's keeping warm. Now, 
though he is following from afar, we should point out here at the beginning where Peter's going to not do well, you know the story, but let's begin by giving Peter credit. He was there. The other disciples weren't there. We'll read in the, in the book of John that John was there. In fact, John is the one who, who is able to get Peter into this courtyard, but then we don't have any other record of, of whether John left or whether he was uh, somewhere else, what was going on, but, but John was known by the high priest, uh, the other gospels tell us. But other than that, Peter is the only one who is bothered to come and to see what's going on. The other, the other uh, nine of them likely off in hiding. So we should note and give Peter the credit that he, that he is there. He's following from afar, but he's following. He's keeping tabs on things. And that's about the last of the credit that we're going to be able to give Peter this morning. Uh, we have to also then notice the error of Peter as he begins here, the danger that he has put himself in by putting himself in a bad situation, by being where he is. That he has followed Jesus from afar right into the courtyard of the high priest, right into the, the lion's den, if you will. And we'll see how this works against him in a moment. But this is then where Mark leaves Peter and then takes up the story of what's going on inside the residence with the high priest and some, at least, of the 71 members of the Sanhedrin trying to build a case against Jesus to bring forth these, forth these false witnesses and eventually charging him with blasphemy for equating himself with God. And then, verse 66, Mark returns to the courtyard where Peter is and where, in a sense, he is on trial. His faith is on trial as well. And Mark records it, this, this incident, with his characteristic brevity. It just moves uh, very quickly. And remember that as we read this morning, Peter or Jesus had told Peter that Peter was going to deny him three times that night before the end of the night, before the rooster crowed twice. And Peter's first denial, the first fulfillment of that, we have in verses 66 through 68. We read it as Peter sits in the courtyard around the fire. He is recognized, not by one of the guards, but we are told by one of the servant girls of the high priest. John identifies her as the girl who kept watch at the door. She answered the door. That was, that was her job. And as she is nearby, perhaps herself seated at the fire, she, Mark says she looked at him. That word is a word that means that she didn't just glance at him, but she, he caught her attention, and she made eye contact with him. She stared at him, we might say. She looked at him intently. That's the, a good way to say it. She looked intently at him, and she, she believes, recognizes him as one of the followers that perhaps she had seen in the city that week. Remember, there, Jesus and his uh, little band of followers had raised quite a ruckus in the city of Jerusalem 
that week, and it is quite possible that this girl had seen uh, them, had seen Peter, and she recognizes him, and the text says that she said to Peter, after looking at him intently, she said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Very simple question, not even a question, really. It's a statement. You were, you were with them. Although I think the implication is sort of, aren't you, weren't you? Now remember in the garden, short time before this, that Jesus had repeatedly cautioned his disciples, including Peter, to stay alert. He said the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But, but stay awake, stay alert, stay watchful. And he told them to keep praying that you may not enter into temptation. And yet, Peter has entered into temptation. He has entered into the courtyard of the guards of the high priest, of the home of the high priest. And he has entered into a comfortable position with the guards. He has comforted himself at their fire. So he's unprepared for what happens. And when the girl asks him or mentions, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, he immediately blurts out denial number one. He says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. We might rephrase that in today's vernacular. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know. You're wrong. And when he says that, and again, here's Mark just kind of moving this along, the discomfort of Peter, the, the, the fear perhaps of Peter and of this situation apparently begins to kick in and so we read next that he went out into the gateway. So he removed himself from the fire and the girl and the guards from that whole situation, and he goes out towards the entrance to the, to the courtyard. He went out into the gateway. It would have been better for him to have continued going and gotten out of there. But he doesn't. He goes that far and no more. He goes away from the, the light of the fire, better able to hide there and to avoid, apparently, this girl who, who knows who he is. And as he did, Mark says to us at the end of verse 68 that the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed for the first time. Did Peter hear that? We're not told. Do you think he heard it? If he did, did it register sort of what was going on? I think he heard it. After all, he told it to Mark. Remember, Mark gets, got most of his, his information here. Um, his source was Peter. And so it's quite possible that Peter told him this. I think he heard it. But I think at the time, at least as far as what it says in the text here, it didn't, it didn't register, it didn't click. And that's the first denial. The second denial is recorded even more succinctly. The servant girl is quite sure that this man is one of the ones who were with Jesus. So now she mentions it, verse 69, she began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. So here's a little bit of an escalation now. Um, the first comment is from the girl to Peter. Now 
it is from the girl to the bystanders, and that would include the guards that are there. There could be others there, but we know that the guards were there. She says, this man is one of them, one of those uh, ones that were with Jesus. And Mark hears it as well. And verse 70 says very simply that, again, he denied it. That's the second denial. Then the third comes, which again escalates. And the third aspect of the trial of Peter's courage as a follower of Jesus comes now from the crowd. Not from the girl to Peter, not from the girl to the crowd, but now the crowd comes to Peter. Confronts him, the bystanders. And we learn that there's one particular thing that leads them to this conclusion or maybe solidifies their, their thoughts or their conclusion about Mark. Mark records it, uh, records them saying, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now Matthew gives us a little more on that. By the way, it, it's so wonderful how God has, in his wisdom, given to us not one gospel that explains these things, but four. We have four gospel accounts. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the the synoptic gospels. Uh, Synoptic means seeing the same. They're sort of organized roughly the same. Uh, And John as well, it's organized a little differently and the focus is a little different. But we have all of these and they're all a little bit different. They all focus on different aspects of this. And they give to us together, when we take them together, a fuller picture of these events. And Matthew adds for us here that they know that he is with Jesus or suspect that he was with Jesus because he's a Galilean and they know that he's a Galilean, Matthew says, because of his accent. You know, much as we might speak uh, of, of people who have a, a southern accent that we can recognize or a, a, a New York accent looking at you, Ken. People have different accents. The Galileans had a different accent way up in the north from those, the Judeans down in the south. And Peter's accent gives him away as one who is likely part of the Galilean Jesus's group. And we could also add that the Judeans sort of had a, a lower opinion of those up in the north, the Galileans, But at this point, Peter, either because of frustration at what's going on, or fear, or anger, or because of the fact that he is now sort of on this road, and he can't retract, and he can't back off from it, he's down, far down the road of denying his connection with Jesus, that he dare not, he thinks, retreat. He goes now all in on his denials. And verse 71 says, But he began, that is, Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. That's kind of an interesting statement. And we do need a little bit of explanation here. We 21st century people read that sentence and we think that it means that Peter used foul language. Uh, And that may be, but the when it says that he began, uh, the second part there, that he began to invoke a curse on himself, what it means is that he 
he was inviting a curse from God on himself if he was lying. He was swearing to God. Though the grammar of the sentence uh, leaves it open a little bit as to on whom Peter is calling down curses. It also means that when it says there that he began to swear, it means that he, of all things, invited the judgment of God to fall on him if he was lying in his denial of Jesus. See how wrapped up in this Peter is. From time to time in the Old Testament, you come across uh, statements of, of people saying something like, may the Lord do to me and more so if such and such is not true or if such and such does not happen. That's the idea here. This idea of, of calling on someone higher than you to bear witness to the truthfulness of your statement. May God strike me down if I am lying that I don't know this man. That, that's Peter's commitment to these denials. And notice that he doesn't even bother to mention Jesus' name, but reduces him to this man. I do not know this man of whom you speak. The Bible says elsewhere, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And in this case, we've sort of turned that into a, a colloquialism. And that is true here. How mighty how the mighty in words has fallen here. I am ready, we read this morning, I am ready to die for you, Peter said. These others may fall away, that's on them, but it won't be me. I will not deny you, I never will. I will die for you if necessary, I will not deny you. How the mighty in his own eyes has fallen fallen to the point of sort of the equivalent of putting his hand on the Bible and saying, I swear I don't know Jesus. At earlier times, when Jesus was in a better situation, Peter was happy to be named as his disciple. But now when the chips are down, when Jesus is, is sequestered away and in danger of losing his life, Peter balks. We see here that a, a bold affirmation, as Peter gave earlier, does not guarantee unflinching faithfulness. And now, he has not only denied the Lord, but he has done so in the most definitive, the clearest way that he can. And it really puts a point on, on Mark's structuring of this passage as he, as he has, because we, we see in these verses that this whole section, when taken together and, and very obviously intentionally, is for us a study in contrast. I'll tell you what I mean. While Jesus is up there, to his own physical detriment being faithful to his mission and enduring largely in silence the, the 
mistreatment and the false accusations of the priests and the elders and the scribes and these false witnesses that they're bringing forward, while he is being faithful up there under that scrutiny, Peter is right outside, failing in his place as a disciple of Christ. Especially notable considering how he has boasted of the fact that he wouldn't do it, of his extraordinary uh, willingness to remain faithful to Christ and even to die. Jesus is standing firm under the combined onslaught of the great Sanhedrin, that highest court of, of Israel, the scribes and the, and the, the Pharisees and the high priest, the, the elders, and a parade of false witnesses. Peter, on the other hand, is facing and crumbling under the onslaught of a little girl, of a young woman, a single servant girl whose job was to open the door. She starts Peter on this road that ends with him bringing down curses on himself if he's lying about the fact that he doesn't know Jesus. And that really concludes the trial of Simon Peter, except for the pronouncement of the verdict and the sentence. And that's the second thing that we're going to see this morning, but we see it by noting Peter's repentance at the end. The verdict comes from an unlikely source, we might say. It's not Jesus who gives it, uh, though, again, in these various uh, tellings of this event, Luke tells us that the end of this, Peter's third denial, coincides with the time when they're taking Jesus and moving him uh, to the next spot, uh, but they transfer Jesus through the courtyard, and Luke tells us that just as Peter was saying this, that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Same word, looked, as earlier. Jesus made eye contact with Peter. What do you think those eyes were conveying? Were they conveying, you scum. I told you you were going to do this. Well, you know that's not Jesus. Jesus loved them to the end. I'm sure that the look was love and compassion for Peter, which probably plunged the dagger of guilt even further into Peter's heart. But the verdict comes really as Jesus had predicted, as these words of denial were still on Peter's lips. Verse 72 tells us that immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And that time Peter heard it. And then Peter remembered that this, in contrast to all that Peter had thought and all that Peter had boasted, that this had happened just as Jesus had said it was going to happen. When that rooster crowed, Peter heard the verdict. Guilty. And in an instant, this all came rushing in, falling down upon Simon Peter. 
his pride, his arrogance, his boasting, and his weakness, his sin. And he flung himself down and covered his face in uncontrollable sorrow. The text says that he broke down and wept. Matthew and Luke both tell us that he wept bitterly. But wait. The Apostle Paul wrote that sorrow of this kind, godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, leads to repentance. And that, by God's grace, was the sorrow that Peter displays here. You say, how do we know that? How do we know that Peter's angst, his feeling, is not the same as that that Judas felt? When he realized he had betrayed innocent blood, remember, he went back to the, the priests and he threw the silver on the ground. He says, I have betrayed innocent blood. They said, tuh, that's on you. How do we know that it's different? Well, we know because of what follows. We know because of the, the results. And we know because of something that Jesus said in the context of his prediction that we read this morning, Jesus said, Simon, he says, Satan has demanded you that he might sift you like wheat. Jesus said, when he was, when he was giving the, the prediction here of what just took place, he said, Peter, si or, or Peter he said, Satan wants you. He wants to use this to destroy you utterly. But, Jesus said, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Why? To what purpose? What's the content of the prayer? That your faith may not fail. And it didn't. His courage failed miserably, as ours does at times. His faith was tested sorely, but it did not fail utterly because Christ had prayed for him. Now, this is, in, in Mark's gospel, this is the end for Peter. This is the last time he's mentioned, except for one other mention that we'll talk about when we get there. We'll save that one. But Peter also, in fact, we could, um, we could talk here about Peter's restoration as well. Peter's restoration, and there was the promise that Jesus gave to Peter before any of this happened, that I've prayed for you, that that your faith may not fail. And he said after that, he said, I have prayed for you, and when you have turned again, when you have returned, he says, strengthen your brothers. Gloriously, he doesn't say if. Peter, it's not going to be left on you. When you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Luke twenty-two thirty-two tells us that. So Jesus gives to Peter the promise that this horrible episode 
that we just read, that we've looked at, this trial of Simon Peter that ended with a guilty verdict on him for his failure to to live up to what he had promised to follow Christ, only follow him from a distance, and to deny him at the drop of a hat, that that's not the end for Peter. I've prayed for you, and when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Like I said, that's, this is the last from, from Peter here, really. But again, John reminds us of another episode that takes place. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection. Remember when we read that Jesus said that I will go before you to Galilee? Well, the disciples end up in Galilee. Remember, most of them are fishermen. They finally come back together. They've seen the Lord down in Jerusalem. He has shown himself to be alive. But they end up in Galilee. They end up near the Sea of Galilee. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. Which is really a way of saying, we don't know how this is going to turn out. Yes, we, we've seen Jesus. We don't, he's not with us now. We don't know what's going on. Maybe this is all over. What should we do? I'll tell you what. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going fishing. And, and you know the story. They get onto the sea. They fish all night. They catch buffkis, zero, nothing. As they're starting to, to clean up the nets and stuff and come back in, they see a man on the shore. I don't know who he is. He says to them, did you catch anything? And as I did every time anyone has ever asked me that question when I'm fishing, no, nothing. And the man says, put your nets down on the other side of the boat, which is in any other case a silly thing to say. But they say, okay, we'll do that. And they go then from having no fish to having no room for the fish that they caught, tearing the nets, about to sink the boat. And then John looks at the man on the shore and he says, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And when he says that, Peter jumps in the water, swims to Christ. There's the Peter we need to see. So we have here in the scriptures this, this assurance that and as, as he comes up onto the shore, you know the story. They make the fish. And Peter speaks with Jesus. And, and Peter, who had denied the Lord three times, the Lord asks him three questions. Peter, do you love me? It's to hurt. Peter, do you love me? Second question. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that. Third question. Do you really love me? Yes. You know that I do. And Jesus says to Peter, then feed my sheep. He restores Peter. He fulfills the, the promise, when I, ha- I have prayed for you, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
He restores Peter and says, feed my sheep. Peter goes on to feed the sheep of Christ. Peter's not left out weeping bitterly. On the day of Pentecost, you know that Peter, along with the other disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, enabled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches, becomes a great preacher in the early church, the head of the early church. Uh, We often think of, of Paul the apostle as the apostle to the Gentile, but the one who originally brings the gospel to not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles is Peter. He brings the gospel. He becomes a powerful preacher. The rock that he was meant to be. Then Peter passes these things, all of these stories, all of this information, passes it on to, well, to Mark. And we've been reading it. Peter ultimately will serve the Lord for the rest of his life and ultimately be crucified in Rome, according to tradition. In fact, according to tradition, Peter thought that it was not right for him to be, to to die the way that his Savior died, and so he requested to be crucified upside down. That's tradition, that's in history, but we don't know if that's actually what happened. But we do know that this man who denied Jesus three times that Christ had prayed for him, and Christ strengthened him and used him. And beloved, that is great news for us because we deny Christ, Christ with with what we think and with what we say and with what we do. But Christ, read John 17, Christ has prayed for you, and Christ intercedes for you even now at the right hand of the Father so that even when you deny Christ, even when you fail, even when I fail, even when we all fail and we all fail, we are not utterly destroyed. We are not rejected. We are not put out because Christ has prayed for us, because Christ has died for us. That's the the rest of Peter's story. And now I don't have time for these last, this last point. We'll have to do it some other time for Peter's lessons. But this is a great lesson from Peter to know that Christ does not reject us even when we deny him. But let us not deny him. Let us not follow Christ at a distance. Let us follow him closely. Let us enjoy the means of grace that he's given to us. This and this and that and prayer. Let us take advantage of those things which are the ways that Christ keeps us close to himself. And to that, let us say, amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your your faithfulness when we are unfaithful. We pray, God, that you would help us to follow you closely. We pray that you would help us to to love you as we should. Help us to to look to your word. Help us to look to the means of grace that you've given to us that we might always um, draw near to you with the assurance that you would draw near to us. We thank you, Lord, for, 
for this, this story. We thank you for the, the way that it speaks to us and reminds us that we fail, all of us, the best of us, fail at times, but you never do. And for that, we give you thanks, O oh Lord. Amen.